everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach Follador, joined uh, by my partner in crime, Sam Philman, live from Muncie. Sam, how you doing out there in, uh, in Indiana tonight? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say other than that. Like, I mean, you guys know how the game went yesterday. Like, I don't feel like there's much more reaction than I than I need to say other than that. Man, as uh, as someone that had a, a Ball State money line ticket in my pocket, I'm right there with you, man. That uh, it was a tough way to lose that one for sure. I wasn't gonna, you know, I was gonna maybe give you a minute to breathe here, and we could talk about something else. But since you brought it up, let's let's go ahead and jump right into it. We're gonna. We're going to just go ahead and dive right into these games, guys. I mean, these these games are what we've been waiting for. These games were the news this week. Uh, I don't know about all you, but or, you know, or you, Sam, but I just I felt like a kid on Christmas morning yesterday. I was just waiting for those games to start. But anyway, um, let's dive right into them here, man. Uh, you brought up Ball State. Um, tough one there for the Cardinals last night. You're up 14-10 at halftime. Caleb Huntley breaks off that long run in the third quarter. It's 21-10. Things are looking good. Brett Gabbard had gotten hurt in the first half, so uh, redshirt freshman AJ Myers comes into the game uh, to get his you know first action of the season. And uh, Huntley, twenty-one carries, one hundred thirty yards, clip nineteen for thirty-two, three hundred nine. Miami just took over kind of after that twenty-one ten lead, though. Sam, um, final score thirty-eight thirty-one. Uh, any any other thoughts? I know you, you talked a, lot, a little bit about it already, but I don't know how how were you feeling last night as as that game unfolded? Uh, I've got I've, I don't know what this is one word show. That's that's all I have to say from the top to bottom. Like yeah, we hit, we had and I and I won't make this a thirty minute rant, which I probably could with the just utter mess that was yesterday. Like you said, fourteen ten, Blaine Gabbert or uh, Brett Gabbert, my mistake. I confused him and his brother. Goes down, 14-10. Looks like we're in control. And then for some reason, A.J. Meyer comes in, 2-12, three touchdowns. Inexcusable. We had so many problems that just was whether coaching or just players, whether it was the decision before have to kick a 50-yard field goal with the dude that is playing in his first game. He left it, I, I believe, like three yards short. He misses a uh, before that he misses a 34 yard chip shot, and and he does end up saving us a little bit later, tying at 30, uh, t- tying at 31, 31 going to the fourth. But it was just that was a stupid game plan call. We couldn't stop we couldn't stop the play action. It was just a first down handoff, second second play play action. We couldn't stop him. And then if we got to third down, we couldn't stop him there. Defense, it seemed like we all we wanted to do was hold Sorensen the entire time. We couldn't actually stop him by actually playing defense. And I believe he had over 100 yards on that game. He even got hurt for a few plays, subbed out. Like, it was just top to bottom a mess. Drew Play had a solid game. Justin Hall had a solid game, two, two touchdowns. Drew Play had that mistake. I can't really blame him. We shouldn't have even been in that situation to begin with. You have Antoine Davis had over 100 yards. Like, if 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 a few different plays would have gone our way, we would have won. But like, from from the way we played in that fourth quarter, we really didn't deserve to win. Yeah, the the thing that that really was odd to me, 
And and the thing I, I you know I said this to you before uh, you know before we started recording was the thing that was in, that I I found very odd was that at the beginning of the third quarter uh, Caleb Huntley breaks off that that you know fifty yard touchdown run puts Ball State up twenty one to ten. And then from that point on, Miami really kind of took control of the game. But a reason for that was because Ball State's offense kind of really stagnated. They had a couple three and outs there. They couldn't get anything going. And they weren't, they weren't giving Huntley the ball. I, I would have thought after that long run, first of all, now he's feeling it. Second of all, you're up 11 now. So when you get the ball back, maybe bleed some clock and try and grind it out a little bit, run for a couple first downs. But Ball State didn't do that and ended up giving the ball right back to Miami. And that's why, you know, it, it went from 21 to 10 to 31-21 in it what felt like a very short span of time. No doubt. And that comes down to coaching at the end of the day because I bring it back to Central Michigan game from 2019. It happened the exact same way. Central Michigan didn't have its backups. It actually had its starters and but it was the same way. We were up double digits, and it just seemed like we didn't want to feed the hot hand. Caleb Huntley was feeling it. Justin Hall was feeling it. We uh, drew play, I believe, on that um, last drive that we scored a field goal, or second to last drive because he threw the pick. Uh, led Johannes Tyler that potentially could have um, uh, – he missed Johannes Tyler on a pass, a, a deep one that could be a touchdown. Another drive – he uh, uh, underthrew uh, Justin Hall, which could have been a potential touchdown. He still got the the catch to set up that field goal, but things just didn't go our way. We didn't execute when we needed to. It it was it was our fault. We we get in the way of ourselves. We have the talent to do it. It's just it comes down to coaching, and I think this proves my point why I'm just not that big of a fan of new. And I think people are starting to realize it. Yeah, certainly a disappointing way to, to start the year for the Cardinals, especially when when all your big time players, uh, you know, they all showed up through Plitt, 19 for 32, 309 and a touchdown. Caleb Huntley, Huntley 130 rushing yards, uh, six yards of carry, two touchdowns. Justin Hall had a rushing touchdown and he had 124 yards receiving and another touchdown. Antoine Davis had 100 yards rushing. You know, or receiving, excuse me, Johannes Taylor had eight catches. I mean, everyone on offense played well for Ball State last night. Just couldn't figure, uh, you know, couldn't find a way to, to pull it out at the end, unfortunately. A.J. Mayer, the backup quarterback for Miami, came in, played uh, went 16 for 24, 212 yards and three touchdowns. A, a nice uh, first performance uh, from the sophomore. I got to correct myself there. I called him a redshirt freshman. He is, in fact, a sophomore. So, um that was probably one of the, the, the better games of the night, 38-31 there. Um, in, uh, in the early games at 6 o'clock, we had Kent State taking on Eastern Michigan. Kent uh, was favored by anywhere between five and six points there. They ended up pulling that one out 27-23. Uh, the Golden Flashes went up 20 – or I'm sorry, went up 13 nothing really quickly in this game. It looked like it might be a blowout, but Eastern Michigan slowly battled back. Preston Hutchinson impressed me. Uh, he was 21 for 35 for 241 yards and two touchdowns for Eastern Michigan. He did throw two pretty bad interceptions, though. Uh, Dustin Crum was 21 for 29, 219 yards and two touchdowns, along with an interception for the Golden Flashes. Uh, Sam, did you get a chance to catch any of this game? What were your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, I, I was watching it before the ball state came on. And, yeah, like it, Kent State came out to a hot start. I was watching went up 13-0. Uh, Dustin Crum looked very impressive. Isaiah McCoy was out here making plays. Uh, um, 
Polk was making plays. Like Kid State was rolling early and often, and I didn't get to see their kind of uh, slowly regression to let Eastern Michigan down the place. Preston Hutchinson got got them back in the swing of things, but that that start kind of worries me. Uh, when when they went up 13-0, I was thinking in the back of my mind, like maybe this will prove my point of of my distaste for Chris Creighton. He almost edged it out, but didn't get the job done. And yeah, I I, th I think that basically sums it up. I didn't get to watch the entire game as I was watching mainly the Ball State game. But I, I, from what I saw in that first quarter, I was really impressed from what Kent State got done. Yeah, the, the thing, there was a point in this game where it looked like Kent State was going to blow the doors off of Eastern Michigan. They were up... Uh, they were up 20 to nine in the second quarter and they drove down inside Eastern Michigan's 10 yard line. They had uh, first and goal. I think they were on like the five yard line, Eastern Michigan's five yard line. And um, you know, you put, they punch it in there, go up 27, nine. And I feel like at that point that, you know, the, the, you know, all bets are off kind of, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're going to boat race them, but uh, Dustin Crumb threw an interception in the end zone and got returned out to near midfield Eastern Michigan wasn't able to, to capitalize on that before halftime, but still, you know, 20 to nine at halftime versus 27 to nine at halftime is a very different thing. And then in the second half, um, until their last drive, whenever they scored to take the lead back, um, Kent State, it was a similar story to, to Ball State, Sam. They just kind of, their offense kind of got stagnant. They, they got away from what they had done well in the first half. And, you know, Eastern Michigan slowly just kind of climbed back into the game. So, yeah, uh, Eastern Michigan, though, uh, takes on Ball State next week in Muncie for Ball State's home opener. Um, did you see anything from from the Eagles last night that, that scared you or concerned you at all? I, I, I'm going to apply this to the rest of the Mac. I don't know about you, Zach, but I noticed besides the few uh, two touchdowns for three defensive touchdowns for Buffalo and the pick that uh, several teams had, including uh, Plitt, that there wasn't a whole lot of defense on that game. Yeah. Like it just, it just seemed to me like the offenses, like at least through the first half of the games I watched, whether it was the, uh, the uh, Kent state put 13, zero Western Michigan, putting 58 points, Buffalo putting up 49 points, central Michigan, Ohio putting up combined 57 points. The defense just wasn't there for me. And maybe it'll take some time to get readjusted and whatever, like, we saw in the NFL where it took some time before the defenses started getting rolling. But I, I was kind of worried by the lack of defense when we went in thinking, like, I was watching the ball say, we're supposed to have the two one of the, two of the top corners, and it just didn't look look that way out on the field. Yeah, no, you're right. There, there was a lot of offense last night, I believe. Uh, let's see, I believe four of the six games went over the, uh, over the betting total. So yeah, there certainly was a lot of offense last night. Um, and so, and all, quite frankly, some, sometimes from, from places that I didn't necessarily expect, um, one of those places was the Western Michigan and Akron game. Uh, one of my, uh, uh, bandwagon bets was the under 55 and a half in this game. Well, Western Michigan got that by themselves. Uh, Western Michigan went uh, pulled away in the second half from Akron, 58 to 13. Uh, Caleb Ellaby making his first start for the Broncos. Uh, he had a heck of a night, 12 for 16, 262 yards and three touchdowns there. Uh, redshirt freshman Zach Gibson got his first start of his career quarterback for Akron. Cato Nelson still recovering from offseason shoulder surgery. Uh, Zach Gibson, though, 18 for 30, 125 yards. Uh, a touchdown and an interception. 
And uh, Dwayne Eskridge, who, if you guys recall, spent last year uh, playing mostly defense for the Broncos, uh, switched back over to wide receiver this year for Western Michigan. He had three receptions, 114 yards, and two pretty spectacular touchdowns. Uh, it was 30-13 to 13 at halftime. Western Michigan came out and just uh, kind of pulled away in the second half. Sam, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, the expectations weren't too high for Akron this year, but uh, I don't know. What did you think about the Zips last night? Uh, what was funny is I was watching with my buddy trying to introduce him to Maction because, like, we were really into the Ball State game, but we had some time to kill, so we were watching the Akron. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really expect Akron to do much in this game, but we could turn it on. And when we turned it on, they were actually leading 7-3 to three at that point. And I don't know what happened in that second and a half, but I, I when, when they went up 7-3, I know Western Michigan got the ball, and I'm pretty sure they scored – yeah, they went 10-7 immediately after and never looked back. I was like, maybe this is a different Akron squad than what we've seen. They didn't have their starting quarterback, so maybe they just don't have anything to lose and are just going to somehow manage to win. And then as soon as they got that uh, interception touchdown, Western Michigan just rolled on from there. They never looked back. Akron really didn't stand a chance from there. Yeah, you're right. I think that pick six was kind of what what did them in because you're exactly right. You know, at the beginning of this game, um, Akron looked pretty good that, you know, Western Michigan got the ball and went down and, um, you know, they, they had a nice drive, but Akron held them in, in the red zone and limited them to a field goal. And then Akron got the ball back and they drove right down the field. Uh, a couple of nice runs by uh, Tion Dollard, uh, who finished the game with 16 carries for 67 yards. And um, and then Zach Gibson finished that um, that drive with with a touchdown pass. But uh, yeah, you're right. So th- I think that first that you know that start was probably something that Akron can take and uh, you know build on. But I think at the end of the day, Western Michigan still just just too much talent. I think Akron's just still so young um, that they you know they're they're still a year or two away. But some encouraging signs there. I think Zach Gibson for a redshirt freshman. Um, you know he he didn't look. Uh, you know, he didn't play incredible, but he, he didn't look like he was out of place out there. And uh, the run game, you know, they had 130 yards on 32 carries. So you're averaging over four yards a carry there. That That's not too bad. But yeah, overall, um, I think the defense is going to need a lot of work for the Zips. And uh, Western Michigan, you know, for a team that had some questions, they look good. Oh, no doubt. And I, th- I think Western Michigan is was trying to prove to people why they have a chance at the the Mac West divisional title because we saw Ball State lose yesterday. We saw um, who else did we see? We saw uh, Central Michigan get a win. So this uh, Toledo get a win. So I think Western Michigan. A lot of people are sleeping on them. I think they came out swinging. They were prepared for Akron. They were ready. They didn't take it for granted, which I think a lot of people will. And I think they're ready to move on to Toledo to potentially give Toledo a run for their money. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I think you certainly you got to be uh, encouraged if you're a Broncos fan by the, the performance by Caleb Ellaby making his first start as a, as a true sophomore, throwing for three touchdowns, completing 75% of his passes. Not, not too shabby of a start for, uh, for Ellaby there. Uh, moving on, uh, in the highest scoring game of the night, which is really surprising to me, uh, Buffalo um, outscored Northern Illinois 49-30. Uh, Northern Illinois had a couple touchdowns there in the fourth quarter after you know all the starters had gone out of the game. So it was never really all that close, uh, except for maybe a short span there in the second quarter. But uh, Buffalo with three defensive touchdowns, 
uh, two scoops and scores and a pick six. Uh, Jared Patterson picked up right where he left off last year. 20 carries, 137 yards, and two touchdowns. Northern Illinois actually outgained Buffalo in this game, which was a surprising thing to me when I was looking at the box score. Uh, the Huskies outgained the Bulls 397 to 357. Ross Bowers uh, didn't look too bad for, for uh, Northern Illinois, except for uh, a couple of bad turnovers. Uh, he was 17 for 28, 202 yards and a touchdown. Um, Northern Illinois, you know, they, they, some, some, young, some of those young freshmen, uh, we talked you know, last week about how young this team is. Some of those freshmen made some plays. I think there were some encouraging signs there uh, for the Huskies, Sam, especially on offense. But at the end of the day, Buffalo, just too much talent. Yeah, no doubt. And and the one thing I was surprised about is the kind of, I would say, lack of use of Kevin Marks. And, yeah. and I understand Jared Patterson had himself a day. Like, he was feeling himself 20 carries, 137 yards, two touchdowns, is uh, currently the MAC rushing leader. But I think when you're trying to build towards the future, and, and yes, you do want to win a MAC championship, but at the same time, you're – this is Jared Patterson's, I would assume, last year in the league. Of course, there's the free eligibility year and whatnot. I just thought they would lean more towards him, give him a few more touches, a few more chances. So when Jared Patterson leaves, Marks can step in, be that guy that Jared Patterson was, and take the offense from there. But I thought I thought Buffalo had a solid all-around performance. I was, I was very surprised that Northern Illinois kept it as close as they did for so long. I believe up until the, the third quarter where Buffalo just scored 21 points and just mm. ran away with it with those uh, multiple defensive touchdowns on back-to-back drives, I believe. But, yeah, I thought I thought there's some encouraging size for a team that you mentioned as like 60-something freshmen on it. So I, I think Northern Illinois, despite the loss, has some positives it can take away from this game. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Certainly some encouraging signs for the Huskies. Um, you know, one thing that that Buffalo and, and Coach Leipold had talked about coming into the season and something that we had talked about, um, Rachel Lindsay, uh, a couple weeks ago when she joined us from the Buffalo News, um, talking about how, you know, the Bulls wanted to be more balanced on offense this year. And you look at it, 175 yards passing, 182 yards rushing. That's not too bad if, you're, if you want to talk about balance. Now, obviously not a ton of yards in the grand scheme of things there, but uh, for, for if you want to, if you're looking for balance on offense, they, they did a pretty good job of it here in, uh, in week one. Um, on the other side for Northern Illinois, um, you know, you saw some encouraging signs. Some of the wide receivers, Tyrese Ritchie had a really nice game, nine receptions, 106 yards. The thing that concerns me about Northern Illinois is, is the offensive line. Bowers was under uh, pressure all night back there, as were uh, Rodney Thompson and Andrew Hydette when they got chances in there in, in, the, in the third and fourth quarter. And then on, you know, when you talk about running the ball, um, Northern Illinois ran for 156 yards, but they did it on 47 carries. So if you're only going to average 3.3 yards per carry, that's not going to do much for you in the MAC. So I think that that's probably what's going to concern me the most moving forward for Northern Illinois is going to be how's the O-line going to perform. I will also say uh, turnovers is a big thing. Four fumbles, yeah. four loss, one recovery. Like that's not gonna. You're not gonna win game unless you just have a random uh, fluke of a game where you actually win the game. But usually you're not gonna win the game. And no matter how many times you're getting sacked or getting pressured, you have to protect the ball at the end of the day. And back to back defensive touchdowns on 
on back-to-back drives is just unacceptable, even from an inexperienced team from Northern Illinois. And I think that's something they definitely got to work on. I think their defense performed as expected. I mean, what what can you say when you got the RPO of Kyle Van Treese and Jared Patterson and uh, Kevin Marks? And they did force that pick from Van Treese, which is um, which uh, is promising. But I th- I think that they're gonna look back at this game and say. There were some promising things, but there's definitely some things we need to work on as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think you said it very well. And uh, you, you mentioned the uh, the pick that um, you mentioned the pick that Van Trees threw. That was uh, intercepted by Jordan Hansen, who is a, a true freshman safety for Northern Illinois. So you mentioned some of the, the encouraging things there. I, I'd put that on that list as well. Uh, moving on to probably what some would consider the quote-unquote marquee matchup of the night. Central Michigan uh, hosted the Ohio Bobcats, uh, McIlwain versus Solich. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the Chippewas coming off of the, the West Division title last year, uh, taking on the Bobcats. Central Michigan pulled this one out 30-27. to 27. This was a great game, back and forth. Uh, you know, they traded punches all night. Central Michigan took the lead first. Ohio took the lead uh, in the third quarter. Uh, they tied it up right before halftime and then took the lead in the third quarter, but Central Michigan took it right back. Uh, ended up uh, the, the deciding factor was a um, Marshall meter, 22-yard field goal for Central Michigan with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, that ultimately provided them with the 30-27 to 27 victory. Um, obviously, one of the big questions here in this game was going to be the starting quarterbacks. Nobody really knew. It was kind of a situation that was up in the air for both programs. With, uh, with, you know, David, the David Moore situation for Central Michigan. And then with Ohio, you have Curtis Rourke and Armani Rogers, who was the transfer in from UNLV. Nobody really knew who was going to start. Turned out it was Curtis Rourke, but Armani Rogers did play um, a little bit, but with Rourke getting most of the snaps. Uh, Daniel Richardson, the freshman from Miami, uh, started for Central Michigan, uh, and he had a pretty nice game, 23 for 41, 243 yards and a touchdown. Um, Sam, what did you think about this game? This was, you know, this looked, this had the look of like two teams that were, you know, conference title contenders. Oh, no doubt there. Uh, they both went at it. I thought Curtis Rourke for a freshman stepping in his first start after his brother just left looked, looked pretty good. I would say for your, for your first start, your freshman coming in against a Central Michigan team who's coming off a Mac uh, title appearance that looked good. But at the same time, I think Central Michigan, has did a good job and they did get the job done with a win but also considering their quarterback certainty they're still waiting on David Moore they're holding out to the last hope they had the presumed starter in there in Richardson and I thought they did well considering that he's not their really their guy moving forward I thought they were put in a tough situation with that whole deal they made it work Kobe Lewis played phenomenal 28 carries 112 yards two touchdowns Cleo Pimpleton did as as um, as he always does, I think Ohio played well, but they just didn't get it done in the end. And I think I think Ohio found their guy in Curtis Rourke moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, Armani Rogers, he had they gave him a couple drives in the second quarter. He he had a couple nice runs, and he, you know he, he he made some plays when he was in there. And I know that the, the drive that he was in, uh, or at least the one I'm thinking of, he did lead them to a touchdown. So that he did some good things as well. Don't want to take that away from him, but I agree with you. Curtis Rourke just looked the part out there, uh, you know, 12 for 19 for 231 yards, 12.2 yards per attempt. 
not too shabby at all. He did fumble twice, uh, so which you know you, you'd like to see that cleared up. But you know, as a freshman, you'll 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 give him a pass there. Um, I thought Daniel Richardson. I mean, this is these are two good young quarterbacks in this game. Daniel Richardson really um, he had poise as well and, and showed some mobility. You mentioned Kobe Lewis and Khalil Templeton, uh, two of the better skill position returning players in the MAC. It's going to be really interesting to watch these two teams moving forward. Uh, Central Michigan taking on Northern Illinois next week, and then Ohio uh, is taking on Akron. So I don't know, not not to get ahead of ourselves here, but you'd like to think that those two teams could could both take care of business next week. Um, the uh, the last game, uh, the late game last night, the Battle of I seventy five. Uh, Toledo was looking to get revenge on Bowling Green after uh, being upset by the Falcons last year. And revenge is what they got last night. It was a, it was a tough game for Bowling Green. Toledo uh, wins this one going away 38-3. to Tough start to the game for Bowling Green. They had uh, two first-quarter turnovers that, that led to Toledo touchdowns and really kind of put this one of out, of, out of reach before it even really got started. Eli Peters, uh, a nice game for uh, Toledo, 20 for 32, 214 yards and four touchdown passes. And uh, they also ran for 300 yards, which you guys remember uh, last year or any year for Bowling Green, defense is always a struggle. We talked with uh, Nick Petrovich about that a couple weeks ago. And uh, it looks like the questions on defense still remain for the Falcons. And uh, unfortunately for the Falcons, one of the, the causes for optimism for this year was uh, their new quarterback who transferred in from Boston College, Matt McDonald. Unfortunately for Matt McDonald, uh, a rough start to his Bowling Green career last night. Eight for 30, 128 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Sam, uh, this was a this was a tough one for Bowling Green. Oh no doubt. And after uh, yeah, after talking to Nick Pierwitz, uh, I believe what was it, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was about three weeks ago now. I think two three weeks ago. Like I was expecting better things from Bowling Green. I wasn't necessarily thinking that they'll get the win by any means. And Toledo was set up to fail in this one. When you look at it, the rivalry, the expectations are going in, everybody's expecting them to just crumble under the expectations. No, they, they came out strong. They look super impressive. Eli Peters throwing those four touchdowns. Bryant Kovac averaging three yards per carry on the ground. Seymour stepping in 13 carries, 93 yards of a touchdown. Like Toledo had everything go right their way. And I think I don't know. I was expecting more after talking with Nick Pierwitz, how the practices look different. They, they It looked really good, but Bowling Green just came out just looking really flat in this one. Yeah, they did. And I, I, it's going to I'm going to be curious to see how Bowling Green comes out and looks next week when they take on Kent State, because, um, you know, you, you'd like to think that the, the, the Falcons can kind of bounce back from that and, 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 you know, put it behind them moving forward. Because, man, this is a team that you had the sense that they might, you know, take a step forward this year. And that was not a good start to the season for them. Uh, not at all. It didn't help that Andrew Clare got hurt in the first half. He only had 12 carries for 37 yards. But, yeah, outgained 524 to 267. Three turnovers. Um, you know, Toledo had 25 first downs to 15 for Bowling Green. Time of possession was 39 to 21. Uh, minutes uh, for the, the the Rockets. So really um, everything that could have went wrong for, for Bowling Green seemed to go wrong last night. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. 
Um, real quick, just looking at next week's um, slate uh, before we get on to our, our best performance and, and worst performances of the night. Um, so the, the games next week are split between Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, so there's three games each night. On Tuesday, Akron's traveling to Athens to take on Ohio. That game's at 7 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. Kent State travels to Bowling Green. That's at 7.30 on ESPN2. And then at 8 o'clock on ESPN, uh, Miami travels up to Buffalo to take on the Bulls. That should be a good game there uh, to close out the night on Tuesday. And then next Wednesday, Eastern Michigan at Ball State at 7 o'clock uh, on CBS Sports Network. Toledo at Western Michigan at 8 o'clock on ESPN. And then Central Michigan travels down to DeKalb uh, to take on the Huskies. Uh, of Northern Illinois at eight o'clock on ESPNU. So some good matchups to look forward to next week. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Uh, does Ball State bounce back next week against Eastern Michigan? I really hope. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. I really hope. I'm not gonna put anything out there just in case it jinx them. But yeah. I'm hoping this is that's. It's gonna be a big game for either opponent. Eastern Michigan coming off that loss. Uh, uh, 0-1, Ball State 0-1 in a six-game season. They lost to Kent State, of course. Both teams are – it's basically a must-win game for both when you look at the six-game schedule. It's really intense. And then on the flip side thing, you got Tuesday, Miami, Ohio, Buffalo, the two contenders, the two kind of um, favorites out of the MAC East. Like, that yeah. might be a game that decides who ultimately gets the MAC East crown. So that's going to be exciting to watch. And I'm just glad – we have it spaced out more so instead of struggling to watch six games, I I, I don't really have to compete. I only have to um, uh, not watch three of them instead. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That was tough to keep up with six games last night. I, I'm going to echo what you said, though. I'm really excited to see Miami, Ohio, and Buffalo next week. Um, that right there is, I think, going to decide the Eastern Division, uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how, uh, how those two teams, uh, how they look. Um, so let's move back just real quickly to, uh, to our, our week one recaps here. Um, we wanted to give you guys, we each picked here, you know, the team we felt with the best performance last night and the team that disappointed us last night. So um, why don't we start out with our, our best performances, Sam, and I'll let you kick this off. Yeah, so I, I had a bunch to um, go through. I like, I want to go with one that's not really, that's a more of a surprise because let's be honest, Jared Patterson rushing for what he did. I think that's expected. Kobe Lewis. I'm going to go with Daniel Richardson for the job he did with Central Michigan. I'm not going to go with the team. I'm going to go with a player this time. I felt like it's fitting considering the just uncertainty of that quarterback position. He knows it's not his job and he still found a way to get it done. The, te the team did excellent around him. Kobe Lewis providing that 112 yards. I'm going to give kind of my uh, game ball, if you want to put it, to Daniel Richardson for his job in getting Central Michigan, and I think a a, a big win going week one. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good pick. Um, I'm also going to go with a little bit of, a, I, I guess, off the beaten path pick here. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Eastern Michigan wide receiver Hassan Badoon. Um, he had a heck of a game for the Eagles last night against Kent State. Uh, finished with uh, nine catches for 112 yards. He was killing Kent State over the middle and third down situations. It seemed like every time Eastern Michigan had a third down uh, in the second half, they'd, they'd throw it to Badoon over the middle and he'd make a man miss and he'd pick up the first down. So he was a big part of why uh, Eastern Michigan was able to get back into that game 
uh, with Kent State and almost pull out a, a victory. Unfortunately, they weren't able to, to do that. But um, Hassan, he had, he had a great game last night. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him compete against uh, Ball State next week. Obviously, those two corners uh, for the the Cardinals that uh, with uh, Uzadima and uh, Antonio Phillips, you know, both those guys are have some NFL potential. So it'll, I'll be interested to see him match up against them. No doubt. And then, what about Sam for your uh, disappointing performance? What was uh, who are you going to go with there? I mean, I'm going to I'm going to head over to Ohio and I'm going to say the Bowling Green's performance all around. And I could just say the quarterback, but I think it's a team effort just was bad as a whole. Yes, you have 139, but it's on 32 carries. Your quarterback eight, only completed eight passes, 30 attempts, eight passes. I, like, isn't that like that's barely over 25 percent completion percentage, two picks. You let Eli Peters throw for four touchdowns. You let the ground game have over 300 yards. Bowling Green, they need a big turnaround going into week two. I mean, they've got to play against Dustin Crumb. You can't allow Dustin Crumb to throw for 300, 400 yards and expect to win that game. So for my kind of losers of the week, I could have said ball safe for what they did against the backup quarterback. But I think for the, the whole team effort, I'm going with Bowling Green. Yeah, I hear you there. Uh, Bowling Green was was second on my list, and uh, the the only reason I'm not talking about them here is because the team that's first on my list, unfortunately, Sam. I hate to do it to you, but it's it's Ball State, man. I, I don't blame you. I, you know, just the way that Ball State lost that game. Um, you know, like I said, they you know they go up 21 to 10 there in the third quarter on that long touchdown run by Huntley, and I you know. I was thinking at that point, I'm like, okay, they're going to get Huntley going now. They're going to pound the ball and, and, and run some clock. And they just didn't do that. And they had, you know, gave the ball right back to Miami a couple times really quickly. Miami took the lead. And then, you know, that, that ending is, uh, is a tough one to take. But, you know, you can't put that game on quit. He threw for 300 yards. Um, just, to, you know, it's, it's discouraging to lose in that fashion on week one whenever all of your big guys show up and play well, you know, Plitt played well, Justin Hall played well, uh, Caleb Huntley played well, all your big name offensive players came out and, and, you know, did what they had to do. And unfortunately the Cardinals just still couldn't find a way to win. And that's a, that's a tough way to start a season for sure. No doubt. And, and I echo everything you said. I'm not sure there's much more I can add. Just, it was just a disappointment straight up, straight forward. Hopefully, hopefully we can bounce back against this, get a point on Eastern Michigan and keep our kind of um, Detroit or bus motto going. But other than that, I don't think there's there's much other than to say then they they need to clean up their act and go on to week two and then get a dub uh, at home. Yeah, for sure. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cardinals uh, bounce back next week against the Eagles in Muncie. Uh, so, Sam, let's go ahead and move on to our uh, our Twitter questions uh, now, so I know we had a couple this week. Um, we had the we had our bandwagon bets tweet, and then also the the polls uh, to go along with that, where we let Twitter kind of uh, pick who they thought was was going to cover or not cover in each matchup. So, do you want to maybe break that down for everyone real quick? Uh, yeah. So, if you don't know, we're starting each week bandwagon bets, where we're going to be posting the spreads of each conference game. So this week we had six conference games as we will for the next five weeks, as long as nothing gets canceled and whatnot. So I'm just going to run through and then um, say who you guys had. 
and then we'll go from there. So matchup one, you guys had Kent State versus Eastern Michigan. You guys picked Kent State uh, minus six and a half point favorites, 60.5. Obviously, they didn't cover. I believe both me and you, Zach, me and you, Zach had that as well. Yeah, we did. And, uh, you know, Kent State was covering most of the game. It was 20 to nine. And then, uh, you know, Eastern Michigan scored a couple quick touchdowns at the, you know, beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, so, yeah, that was a tough one to lose. But uh, it looks like we all three, us and, and Twitter alike, got this one wrong. And then moving on to matchup two, we had Western Michigan Akron. Western Michigan heading into this game was 18 and a half point favorites. I had, I had Akron covering the spread. But we all know how that didn't went. It looked like in the first half, the first quarter, like early first quarter, that maybe Akron could cover it. But Western Michigan ran with it in the end, and you guys were correct in that. You had Western Michigan minus 18 and a half. 52.9% of you agreed with that. So you guys are one and one. And starting out, I am 0 and 2. As am I, because I my bet for this game was the under the total of 55 and a half. And then Western Michigan went ahead and went over that by themselves. So, um, yeah, we're all, all uh, off to a rough start here, Sam. And then moving up to matchup three, we head over to Oxford, the Miami, Ohio, and Ball State game. We, uh, we all know how that went. We all know our feelings on that. Uh, you guys, like me and Zach, had Ball State plus two and a half. 57.5% of you had that as well. They didn't get it done. I'm 0-3. The uh, Twitter, I guess you want to call it, is one and two so far. Yeah, as am I. Uh, or I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm, I should say I'm with you, Sam. Also 0-3. Uh, yeah, Ball State, uh, heartbreaking fashion for us last night. No doubt. And we move over to uh, Buffalo, Northern Illinois. Buffalo, 10.5-point favorites. You guys pounded the Buffalo minus 10.5, 82.1% <laughs> of them. And with – the uh, multiple defensive touchdowns, they managed to cover it. So I believe that's our first win of uh, bandwagon bets. That's right. So thank you, Buffalo. Thank you for the scoop and scores and the pick sixes. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, hey, anytime, you know, that, that, I feel like that's a lucky bet whenever you cover like that and you get those, all those defensive touchdowns. But um, hey, we'll take it. We're, we got one in the win column. Yeah, no doubt. One in three so far. Let's go. Let's go shoot for 500. <laughs> but uh, anyway, matchup five. I thought this was a uh, kind of a sneaky one. I went with Central Michigan plus one and a half, but you guys thought the same way. Central Michigan plus one and a half, 54.8% of you. And as we saw, Central Michigan did barely get done. It was by uh, 30 to 27. So that's uh, by three. So they did end up covering. And Zach, I think both me and you had that correct. Yeah, we did. I I, uh, I was a little bit surprised by this line because, you know, these are two teams to me that were pretty evenly matched and they even both had a similarity in the sense that neither of them really knew who their quarterback was going to be. Um, so I don't know, with evenly matched with not knowing who their quarterback was going to be, give me the home team and the team that won the division last year. And yeah, we, we turned out to, to be the right choice in this one. No in doubt. So we are two and three and what I believe Twitter would be three and two, three and two. Yeah, you're right. Three and two, three and two. Okay. So you guys are up so far. And in our last matchup, we had the rivalry matchup. We had uh, Toledo heading into this game, 21.5 uh, point favorites in this rivalry matchup. You guys hammered that or not really hammered that you, it was actually a lot closer than I expected. 51.4% 
Uh, Zach, we had Bowling Green plus 21 and a half, unfortunately, didn't we? Yeah, we did. You know, it's crazy that uh, the public, um, if you followed throughout the day yesterday, like the public agreed with Twitter here because Toledo uh, started out at 21 and a half. And by the end of the day yesterday, they were up to like minus 24. So people just like kept betting Toledo and it turned out to be the right side. Unfortunately, you know, we talked about this already, Sam, but uh, you know, both you and I had a little bit of higher expectations for Bowling Green and especially on offense this year. And, uh, you know, unfortunately they just uh, weren't able to get it done for us last night. I also had the over in that game specifically because of that reason, you know, I thought Toledo would be able to give us a couple touchdowns. Um, but unfortunately uh, that wasn't in the cards for us last night. It'll be interesting to see how Bowling Green bounces back next week. No, and I think that moves, that means we are uh, unfortunately heading into a week two in a negative record. We're both two and four, I believe in Twitter is four and two. So unlike the simulations where I did pretty good week one, just week one, just didn't turn my way. Yeah, it's, it's always tough. And Hey, especially in a weird year like this with a shortened off season, you know, canceled and restarted and all this stuff. Um, you know, it was going to always going to be tough in week one. So now that we actually have seen these teams play and know a little bit more, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a little bit better moving forward. So moving forward, guys, we will, um, we will post our, um, our bandwagon bets on probably on Monday, you know, the, the lines come out on Sunday. We'll do it Sunday, Sunday night, Monday morning, somewhere in that range. Um, we'll have them up there and we'll have the polls up for you guys to vote on as well. Um, Sam, any final thoughts on uh, week one at all? Twitter questions, spreads, anything along those lines? Uh, no, I thought I thought it was a really fun week. I was uh, really excited in this one. I think Maction delivered. We had everything we won from close matchups with Kent State EMU. We had uh, blowouts with uh, Western Michigan Akron. We had the unfortunate heartbreak with Ball State. We had the Toledo big rivalry win. I think this was a, a solid week to start off Maction. We'll have to see in next week's matchup. It doesn't seem as great of matchups next week, except I think the Ball State Eastern Michigan and the Miami Ohio Buffalo one. But hopefully we can continue to get those great matchups because I'm here for it. We won't have to cram in six games until like three hours next week. So hopefully yeah. you guys will get to watch multiple games in uh, this past week. Yeah, certainly. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be nice to be able to have three games spread out over uh, over two days next week. Um, so that's gonna wrap it up uh, for our first segment here, guys. Our week one recap and uh, Twitter recap. Um, we're moving now into our um, our interview portion of the show. We have two uh, journalists joining us tonight as we continue kind of our um, football season preview coverage. I know we're kind of moving into the season now, so some of this will kind of start to bleed together. Uh, but we were joined uh, tonight by uh, George Thomas, a uh, sports writer for the Akron Beacon Journal, who covers the Akron Zips football team. And then we're also joined by James Krause uh, by the NIU North Star. It covers the uh, the Huskies football team for the North Star. So we had two uh, great conversations uh, with both of them, with James and George. Uh, we think you guys are going to really enjoy them. Uh, we look forward to uh, to sharing them with you. Thank you guys for stopping by tonight. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the interviews. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, for our next segment here, we are going to talk some Akron Zips football. We are joined by George Thomas, uh, sports reporter for the Akron Beacon Journal, where he uh, he covers the Zips among 
um, many other things as well. George, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How you doing? Not a problem. Excuse the Ohio State stuff in the background. That's okay. You know, as a, as a Penn State alum, after what you guys did to us last weekend, I, I can't talk anyway. So that's that's. It wasn't that bad. Ohio State's defense is. I don't want to say suspect, but it's. Yeah. It's not what it should be. Let's try that. I, I will agree with that. I, I was surprised a little bit how uh, Penn State was able to move the ball there, especially, you know, then you got into the second half. But anyways, um, you're dredging up bad memories for me now. Um, so we obviously uh, we wanted to have you on to talk some, some Akron football here, George. So obviously uh, year two of uh, the Tom Arth era started last night against Western Michigan. Uh Close for a half, you know, looked looked pro some promising things in the first half before Western Michigan pulled away. Um, how's the team feeling today after that? How's the staff feel? Um, any positives that they could take away from last night? Uh, the game ended so late, and I had a deadline. So I'm going to be honest with you, didn't talk to anyone from the team. I talked sure. to Coach Arth. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to speak for the team. Now, despite that shellacking, uh, Tom was a bit – I don't want to say upbeat, but he was even keeled and he's always even keeled, but he wasn't panicking. That's the best way to put it. And I, from what I understand and mind you in this year of COVID, you know, it is, it's been ridiculously easy or ridiculously difficult to get a handle on what that team exactly is. Now, keep in mind last night, they didn't have um, Cato Nelson. He's still recovering from, from sh shoulder surgery. They've got four freshmen, redshirt freshmen on their offensive line. So, you know, it was, I was surprised that they were able to, to hang on as long as they did by the same token that was part of a, uh, a pattern last year. The difference is they got through now let's, I'll put it to you this way. In the second half, I didn't feel they had an insurmountable deficit. I asked Tom about it. He felt the same way. We know what that turned into, but last year I would have told you that game was over at halftime. Um, there were some positives they could take from it. So this is obviously year two of the Tom Arth experiment and so obviously, Zip fans, I'm, I'm including yourself here, weren't exactly thrilled with an 0-12 loss. And heading into the season, a lot of people have um, the Akron Zips going really winless. So what's the feeling around Tom Arth? I know, I know Zips fans are excited to get a win, whatever that will be. Is there any kind of deadline to actually get a win before we just like, I don't know, um, give up on Tom Arth? I'll ask, answer that question with a question. How do you fire somebody after a six game season in an yeah. era where there's a pandemic going on? Mm -hmm. That's to me, that would be the height of being ridiculous. Um, you know, number one, let me, did you say I was, I'm not a Zips fan. Okay. I, okay. I, I cover the team. Um, <laughs> I have to remain or maintain some level of objectivity. Tom is from Cleveland. I like Tom. So, you know, I live in, in suburban Cleveland. That being said, like any coach, no one's going to be happy 
I mean, there were other names bandied about when they were trying to fill that slot. And one of the reasons Tom was chosen is because he, 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 he's had success wherever he's been. He was on the verge of, of flipping around the, the University of Tennessee Chattanooga program when he got this job. Number two, he knows Northeast Ohio, okay? And the prior regime, in my opinion, didn't recruit Northeast Ohio enough. And with respect to Northeast Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, um, the state of Ohio, there is an abundance of talent on offensive lines for, uh, with, with, with respect to offensive line players. He was brought in to correct things like that. Um, ultimately, I think he's going to be okay, but we shall see. But I don't think it's in any way fair to count this season as any kind of expectations given, given the hurdles that not only he's had to, to endure, but everybody else in the MAC has had to endure. I mean, no spring practice, 70% of the team is underclassmen at this point. So there are gonna be growing pains. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think uh, pretty much everyone would agree with you there, George. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, the kind of building this program, um, you know, with it's such a young team this year with so many freshmen, so many young guys in so many young places. Because of, because of that and because of the fact that it's a six-game season, do you see Coach Arth and the staff using this as kind of a developmental year in the sense of playing a lot of younger guys with an eye on the future as opposed to winning games this year? they're looking to develop those players, but they're also expecting to, to win. Yeah. I don't know how realistic it is given that youth. Um, I would hope that they pick would be able to pick off one or one or two games, but l let's be honest. It's a conference only schedule. So we shall see. I kind of want to switch over to the recruiting side of things and Tom Arth uh, has kind of struggled on the recruiting side of things. Now, I would consider recruiting kind of a foundation of a program. How, how is Tom Arth going to be able to deliver success when he hasn't necessarily been able to deliver on the big time recruits? Like uh, 2021, uh, 247 Sports has him uh, 10th for the 2020 season, 12th for the 2021 season. So it just seems like there's a whole lack of uh, recruiting. If that makes sense. How do you establish a, re a recruiting pattern inside a year? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, they can rate his recruiting class any way they want. Um, but here it is, bottom line, you need in any division one program, you need three seasons to set up a culture and have really legitimate expectations. That's a, that for me. That's a questioning after year three. Here's the 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 important part around here right now. Kids who wouldn't look at the University of Akron from Ohio will now. They do, and that's important. I mean, there is a, a great base of talent in the state of Ohio now. Um, he's going against Bowling Green. He's going against Ohio University. He, he's going against Toledo. So, you know, 
I, I get what you're saying in that respect, but I would I would argue this that most most and I'm going from my experience in college, most I don't want to call 20 somethings kids or or 19 year olds kids, but most most young adults, let's try that. Look for a fit as far as culture goes off the field. And in that respect, there's plenty plenty to do in Northeast Ohio. The University of Akron has a facility still, even though InfoCision Stadium is over 10 years old. And that coaching staff is very solid. Um, like I said, that, that's a question for a year or so down the line. So, uh, George, obviously, so one of the young guys last night that everyone got a chance to see was uh, was uh, Zach uh, Gibson, the quarterback who made his first career start with. Uh, so with with Cato being out, having had the shoulder surgery over the summer, um, is, is there a sense, you know, is, is Cato's job whenever he comes back or is, is Zach Gibson still going to continue to get snaps there as well? Has there been a sense of, of what they're going to do there? Let, let, I, I asked Tom that question a few weeks ago and um... I I knew there was going to be a a legitimate quarterback competition going into their their training season, whatever you want to call it. And with Cato being injured, or recovering from surgery, he couldn't make all the throws. His timing has been off, from from what I understand. Apparently, that timing is coming back. He's probably another ten days away, which puts him back. Uh, let's see. They play Ohio on Tuesday. My guess is it puts them back a week from Saturday then, yeah. um, or two weeks from Saturday. I'm sorry. Um, I asked Tom about that and he says, ex he said experience counts for a lot. Now you got to understand Cato has won some big games for the Zips and that he's beat Kent twice. And that's their number one rival. That doesn't go unforgotten. Cato has the ability to run and pass. He still has issues staring down his receivers. Um, so I, as long as he can wing the ball, I think he's he's back in that number one spot. And, and moving on to the other side of the ball, we saw the defense struggle last night, 218 yards rushing a line of 5.6 yards per carry. What's the defense going to have to do to improve this year? Um, <laughs> um, you know what? That kind of surprised me because the defense was – if there was a high point last year, it was the defense. Um, when I mentioned earlier that there was a pattern about the zips last night, and that pattern is they hung in at the beginning and, and fell off at the end, that's due to that defense spending a lot of time on the field. And I think you saw that show up last night. I They had a solid... They had a solid quarter and a half. When did that, that pick six come in for, for Western? I mean, 
you, you throw a pick six, that kind of deflates a team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Zach Gibson did that. That defense, I think, will come around. What do they need? They need to generate a pass rush from the defensive line. They had one sack last night, and it, it came from a linebacker. Um, they have to uh, cover better. They lost some, some experience in their defensive backfield. Um, the issues are all around. The one spot they may be most solid is that middle linebacker with Bubba Arslanian. Um, that linebacking cord, they're very high on. Now, whether it can it can deliver or they can scheme it to deliver remains to be seen. But I, I, I have to look to that defensive line to do more soon. So uh, looking towards, uh, towards week two, George, uh, the Zips travel to, um, to Athens to take on Ohio uh, in, in week two. You know, you mentioned the defensive line needing to do better and being able to stop the run. Well, Ohio's a team that loves to run the ball with, uh, with you know, Frank Solich at the helm there. So how do you see the Zips matching up next week against the Bobcats? I haven't even looked at the game notes yet, okay? Yeah. Um, if you could tell me, bottom line is, if you're giving up 218 yards in your first game, there are issues. The, the, the larger question is, whether they're able to fix those issues. Um, and Ohio's been running, running over the zips for years. Uh, so I don't know how it's going to shake out. At this point, I can't tell you how, how they're going to match up. But I don't look at them being able to have the zips being able to have a lot of success at in Athens, they never have had a lot of success down there. They've kept it close, but like I said, not a lot of success. Yeah. And and going back to the whole uh, quarterback situation, so moving forward with this offense, you mentioned Kale Nelson's probably not going to be ready for this upcoming week. So is the offense? Can you project kind of looking the same as it did last night? 32 carries, kind of that balanced attack with Gibson also attempting 30 passes, or is it going to be a lot more, can you project for next week, kind of more handing the ball off and uh, letting, uh, like taking the pressure off Gibson essentially? The answer to that question is whether or not they're going to be able to run, period. I mean, you know, I had to give the Zips some attaboy points for for, for some things last year, because they improved in, in, in some areas. One of the areas was a run game. Last year, they averaged 47.7 yards per game, dead last in, in division. Question is whether the offensive line can duplicate that. Also keep in mind that 45 of those yards came on one carry. Now the better than anything I've seen out of a Zips running back in probably three or four years. So we shall see. As for taking the pressure off Gibson, you know, he he last night to have happy feet and he's got to trust his line more. He really does. And, and 
now looking at the game were necessary for him to take on the run. So we shall see. Good stuff. Uh, so George wanted to ask you about um, obviously the, the zips as part of trying to build a culture like you were mentioning, um, you know, the, the increased presence on social media. We've seen these hashtags um, surrounding the Akron football team with, you know, hashtag our way and hashtag here to develop. What was kind of like, what, what do those hashtags mean to the program or mean to the coaching staff? How'd that come about? Um, that's just a change in culture. Um, here to develop, they know they're young. That one, they, they, Tom Arth has this philosophy and you know what? I raised a, an eyebrow the first time I, I met him. Um, he has this philosophy where he's trying to develop a complete person on and off the field. There are expectations off the field for, for Zips football players, period. They have a civic engagement day, for instance. Um, that's his big thing there. What's the other one? Our way? That's just, they're going to do it the right way. That's what our, our way means. He's not looking to cut any corners. He's not looking to cheat in any, any, any form or fashion. He just wants to do it the right way. And that's where that one sprung up from. Okay. And then, so we're getting a, we're getting a lot closer to um, basketball time. And our, my question is simple. What can Zips fan expect from this basketball program? I know I'm sure they were very high um, after coming off last week or last year's uh, phenomenal appearance. Uh, before the MAC tournament unfortunately got canceled. So what can Zips fan expect from the basketball team this year? <laughs> I wish I knew. You know, <laughs> that's, as, that's as real as I could get. They lost four seniors in their starting lineup. You bring back the defensive player of the year, or, or the, the, the MAC player of the year, and Lauren Christian Jackson. So they have that going back, going for them. Lauren Jix, Christian Jackson um, is is determined. I don't know if you've ever seen him fifty wet. I mean, he's yeah. he's he's not a big guy, but he's got a a big chip on his shoulder. He plays like it, and he's on a mission this year. Um, the players who are likely to end up in the starting lineup got a lot of experience last year. A lot of it. So as far as expectations, I don't know. Now, if they get a conference schedule, everyone will have a better idea. But in, uh, until then, I'm not even going to have this. I do know Lauren well enough to know what his expectations are. Same for Coach John Gross. They have expectations, and, and talking to John a couple of weeks ago, his expectation is to win. I, he's established a culture there, and mind you, I, I respect him because he had some huge shoes to fill walking in that door. Mm -hmm. So, again, we shall see. Yeah, good stuff. Crazy to think that basketball is uh, just a little over, uh, under, I should say, just a little under three weeks away here. Uh, George, 
thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you taking some time and talking some zips with us. Uh, really thank you for uh, taking some time out of your evening and stopping by. Not a problem. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the awesome. uh, the uh, window of opportunity. Let's call yeah. it that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, George. Thank you so much, everyone. He is George Thomas, uh, sports writer for the Akron Beacon Journal, covers the zips, uh, among other things, uh, in Northeast Ohio. Thanks a lot, George. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. For our next segment here, uh, we're continuing our uh, season preview coverage leading up to week one of Maxion, getting set to kick off here uh, in just a couple of days. Uh, we're joined now by James Krause, a uh, sports reporter for the NIU Northern Star, joining us live from uh, DeKalb. James, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to uh, to be a part of Hustle Belt. Hustle Belt is 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 very much uh, something me and and the rest of the staff uh, kind of look for for other Mac news. So I'm excited awesome. to be on. Well, we're really uh, that's that's awesome to hear. We we appreciate that very much, and uh, we appreciate what you guys do over there at the Northern Star as well. Uh, let's you. jump right. Let's jump right into this here, James. Um, Year two under Coach Hammock for Northern Illinois. Obviously, last year, I think a little bit of a disappointment, only going five and seven. Uh, what's the feeling like around the team right now? What are the expectations for year two? Uh, with a shortened schedule, I, I don't know uh, if the expectations would be the same if maybe they had a full non-conference slate uh, to maybe get a few extra wins in there. But I think that now uh, with another year in the system that a lot of the offensive guys said last year they struggled with, but have gotten a lot better with. Uh, I think we can expect offensive improvements. The question is going to be on the defensive side. They have a lot of, of young new pieces and uh, with a six game schedule, there's not a lot of time to really acclimate them before you really have an idea of what you have. So I would say a, a good expectations for them from a lot of people I, I've heard from it's one or two wins uh, I think if they can somehow get to 500, that'd be a, a tremendous feat. Uh, and as you mentioned, the extremely young club, uh, year they have 62 freshmen on the roster. What was the motivation for the coaching staff to bring in such a big recruit class? Is this kind of a tear it down and rebuild type of situation? I think so. Uh, from seeing uh, the roster turnover, just from you know, when they won the MAC title in 2018 to now, you can really now get a sense of, okay, this is Thomas Hammock's program and not sort of a, a weird mix of his program and, and uh, people from Rod Carey's uh, time as the coach. This is definitely uh, uh, a team that he has had a lot of influence in recruiting in terms of finding guys uh, who maybe aren't as big of, of a uh, recruits but bring a lot of physicality that's one of the things that he and uh, a lot of the guys who played with these first years have talked about is that they may not be acclimated right away but they'll bring the physicality of any other college player and uh and i i think in terms of recruiting that's going to be one of thomas hammock's uh, strong points going into uh, longer into his tenure yeah so with the roster being so young James um I guess this is kind of a two-part question here so obviously the roster being so young and with all the roster turnover I would imagine having you know the the abbreviated offseason has not helped Northern Illinois right I think they could have really benefited from spring practice and from a full fall camp but in the absence of that how has the coaching staff kind of handled that I guess you know how how has camp been 
you know, how they kind of handled the, the whole, the preparations given the, the pandemic and all that stuff. And as a second part to that question, being that there's so many freshmen on the roster, so many young guys, so many underclassmen, do, do you see the coaching staff maybe using this as like a, a quote unquote, like red shirt year or developmental year, and maybe playing a lot more of those young guys with an eye on the future, as opposed to trying to win games this season? Well, to answer that first question, I think that they are approaching this kind of like any other year, uh, which is, and Thomas Hammock says much this week, he said, you put him on the field. He doesn't think you can tell the freshmen from the seniors in terms of uh, what they bring in terms of energy to a game. So I don't know if there's a really different approach, but I do think that they definitely are going to be looking at games because of the shortened schedule and, and look beyond wins and losses and say, this was a success in terms of were these guys who are young and getting playing time able to do the things that we want them to do in the future? Uh, did they show glimpses of being able to do the things we expect in the future? So I don't think this is a year where they're necessarily looking at it uh, from a wins losses perspective at the end of the year and gauging their success. I think they're gonna look at, do we have players now in place that have been now acclimated to, to the Mid-American Conference and, and we have a foundation to build upon for years to come. Uh, I'm kind of curious, because I know Ball States, uh, as a Ball State student, is the uh, Detroit or bus motto. And I've seen on Twitter, NIU preaching this bring your own juice kind of motto. So what, what does that, like in your words, what does that mean? And like, where did that motto come from essentially? So I actually got to do a, a fun feature story about it. And a lot of people who cover the team, uh, we kind of joke about it and it, it being a little bit of a goofy thing. What it is, is basically Thomas Hammock a few months ago, even before I think that the season was officially coming back, uh, talked to Dan Jackson, who's their wide receivers coach, and said, we got to come up with some way to keep our guys energized if we're going to have no fans and we don't really know what we're going to have in terms of season. And so that's what that kind of is. And, and the, uh, the jersey that a lot of people have been seeing through their social media is their, that uh, BYOJ uh, yellow jersey. And they give it out to the guy who they think uh, brought the most energy in practices. Uh, and, and they've got some other things that they're going to do on game day uh, that I think is, is what's really going to be interesting to watch about this team. It's, it's, it is a weird year in that sense, because typically uh, when we were looking for an NIU, you're saying, where are they going to stack up with the best in the conference? And this year, I think a lot, uh, for me at least, covering the team, it's how fun is this team going to be being so young and, and having some things in store to try and keep, uh, keep uh, spirits high. Yeah, that is a cool kind of creative way that, uh, you know, for Coach Hammock to kind of keep them engaged, it seems like. So let's, let's James, let's talk a little bit about the, the talent and the, and, the, and the players themselves as, as, you know, we approach week one here. Let's look at the offense. Obviously, Ross Bowers returns at quarterback, but, you know, you lose some other key guys. You lose, it seems like there's a lot of talent, you know, losing, you're losing on offense there. Jordan Nettles was, you know, supposedly going to be the starting running back, and then he opted out. So who's going to be the starting running back? Generally speaking, overall, you know, what are the expectations for the offense this year? Yeah, it's really weird coming in this year. Jordan Nettles obviously coming in. Everyone thought, well, we, they lose Trey Harvison in the, the transfer portal. He goes back to Charlotte uh, to his hometown, and, and suddenly – they have a guy who got a lot of touches last year in Nettles and suddenly he's gone. And so the only person they had with experience was 
uh, I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize, Rodarius uh, Gregory, uh, the redshirt freshman. I think he only had like 43 yards last year. Luckily, uh, they do bring in a transfer from uh, Hutchinson Community College and Aaron Collins. He, in terms of a running back, kind of brings a little bit more speed than Trey Harbison, uh, which is why I think uh, uh, Thomas Hammock is really excited because he brings a little bit more speed and uh, elusiveness that maybe Trey Harbison didn't have. Harbison was kind of more of a, I'm going to run through tackles and, and that's how I'm going to break off big yardage. Aaron Collins is a guy who, uh, at 6'2", can make himself pretty small in the backfield and, and find the holes uh, in his offensive line. I want to switch over to the other side of the ball. So only three players return on defense after losing two transfers, Jack Heflin and Matt Lorbeck. How are the Huskies going to replace all that they've lost on defense? So on the defensive line, uh, they have Pierce uh, Apoing, uh and... Uh, Rasheen Thomas, those are two freshmen that are going to be uh, starting on the defensive line. The, the area I'm really interested in is the secondary uh, because they went from having uh, a really experienced secondary last year to all those guys either graduating or transferring. And now Dylan Thomas is their most experienced uh, uh, guy in the defensive backs rooms. He's a junior redshirt. He's going to be starting at cornerback alongside uh, a transfer from South Dakota State and Jordan uh, Grady, who previously graduated from DeKalb High School. Uh, and then we have two freshmen at, at safety in Devin Lafayette and Jordan Han uh, Hansen. It's really going to be a matter of, I think, in terms of success for this defense, I think it's going to be if they don't give up the big plays, uh, be it getting the stops they need uh, at the defensive line and not getting beat over the top in the secondary. Uh, thankfully for them, they they do bring a, a lot of experienced linebackers back in Kyle Pugh and uh, Lance DeVoe and Nick Ratton, who really showed up for them last year. So uh, you, you mentioned some of the younger guys there that you um, that are going to see some time uh, and James. And, you know, I guess my question here is, is kind of a two part question. Um, we were just talking before we started recording, recording, you know, the, the depth chart, when you looked at the depth chart initially, were there any surprises to you there? And then as a second part of that question, any impact freshman, anyone else you could see making, uh, making some noise uh, that we, you know, names we should remember this year. Well, I think in terms of ju it just being such a stark contrast from everyone else in the conference. I mean, we also got Buffalo's depth chart and they didn't have, I think any freshmen in the two deeps. Uh, and meanwhile, just on both sides of the ball, NIU's got a ton of freshmen who are going to end up getting a lot of playing time this year. Uh, in terms of a guy who who is going to be a breakout uh, star from that freshman group, I think it's going to end up being Trayvon Rudolph. Uh, he was a guy that NIU recruited very heavily and unfortunately couldn't get him originally. Uh, they did get him finally as a walk-on, and then they put him on scholarship, I guess, over the course of training camp. He's going to be both a kick returner and their third uh, string wide receiver. So I think he's going to uh, bring a lot. He's got kind of the size of a Tyrese a Richie and probably a lot of the speed I'd imagine as well. And so uh, he's going to be a guy to watch uh, develop over the course of this year. Um, so I'm curious, I'm going to head over to the recruiting side of things. And I've noticed that Thomas Hammock has done a great job of recruiting. 2020, he's got the fourth, according to 247 Sports, and the sixth, 
uh, for 2021. So how has Thomas Hammock in his just short time in NIU been able to grab kind of, I would say upper tier Mac uh, commits? Uh, he's going to the places he needs to. Uh, definitely he's looking around the local area. I see a lot of guys on this roster from DeKalb and, and from surrounding uh, sort of Chicago land areas. Uh, he's got some other areas of, in terms of pipelines that he's opened up in terms of uh, he was a guy who grew up in New Jersey. I know he's got some other guys on his staff that come from New Jersey, New York, that kind of uh, uh, tri-state area in, in the East. So he's getting some guys there and he's, he's open to getting some guys in the portal uh, who maybe teams wouldn't give a, a second look to Aaron Collins being one of them. Uh, Ross Bowers, of course, one of the first people he picked up. So I think he he's looking in all the places that he should be uh, and, and then finding some unconventional ones. I just got to talk to uh, a guy, Greg DeLuca. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get, but he's an interesting story. He's a uh, former Navy SEAL who last played football in like 2013, walked onto the program one day, said, hey, can I get a, a, a tryout? And then they just put him on the team because uh, of the experience he has and the things he brings to the team. So they're, they're finding it in the places they should and the places I guess you wouldn't expect, expect a, a program like NIU to. Interesting. That's very, very interesting. Um, I, I was curious, James, just kind of more generally speaking, how the fan base feels about Thomas Hammock, you know, as a coach going into year two, obviously an alum of Northern Illinois who was on some great Husky teams back in the early 2000s as a running back. Um, I, I don't know what the expectations were around the fan base last year. I know, you know, missing a bowl game, though, is, is not something that has been all that common in DeKalb. So how does the fan base feel about Thomas Hammock uh, coming into year two? Uh, that's a tough question to gauge, really. Uh, I know uh, I would imagine a lot of people like the guy Thomas Hammock. Thomas Hammock uh, has had a big social media presence and, of course, as an alumni, I think people might gravitate more to him than, say, a Rod Carey. Uh, I know a lot of people at the end of his tenure looked at Rod Carey and said he got us to places, but in order to get to the next level, like we, we have to change some things. And so I think that's why a lot of people are giving Thomas Hammock more of an opportunity than, than looking at his first year and saying, this is where we're going to be. Because there, I think in 2018, despite winning a conference title, there need to be some sort of shift in the program. Uh, a lot of people felt that there was a, there need to be a change of the culture. And that's what Thomas Hammock's uh, brought. And he's definitely brought it in a big way. I think a lot of guys are talking about having fun this year, uh, as opposed to maybe they did in 2018 when they were going to the MAC title game. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think uh, I think people are, are really willing to give Thomas the time that he needs in order to get this program into what uh, his he envisions for it. So I, I, I want to move into uh, tomorrow's game, week one. I think Buffalo's now, what, 12 and a half, 13-point favorites against IU, NIU, NIU going into tomorrow. So what's the feeling like? I'm, I'm sure they're feeling like underdogs. How do you feel like they can match up against this Buffalo team that many people would consider have MAC championship aspirations in them? Yeah, it's really strange. I, I was actually earlier today, I was at the Northern Star offices. The last time uh, Buffalo beat NIU was 1968, which feels like really surprising given wow. 
how how competitive these two teams have been uh, in recent years. But I guess NIU historically uh, has had a stronger program, but obviously this year, uh, Buffalo is a big contender in the East. In terms of what I think NIU needs to do on the offensive side, I, I've looked at it and said, if they can score 24 points, I would imagine they'd be pretty happy, win or loss. I would imagine on the defensive side, it was the things I talked about in terms of not giving up the big plays. Obviously, they have uh, Jared uh, Patterson in the backfield, not giving up big rushes by him. Don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be for Buffalo, and, and I think that might throw a young secondary into a bit of a loop and, and throw them off their game a little bit in terms of preparation. But uh, if the secondary can keep the ball ahead of them, I think they'll be fine as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't see a ton of scenarios where they win this game against Buffalo. I do think that it's good for NIU that a lot of the games where they're going to be heavy underdogs, they're going to be at home. And I know home field advantage might not be as big of a deal this year, but I think it, it, it'll mean something. Yeah. That, uh, that 1968 stat, that, that's pretty crazy. I, I did see earlier that um, something that surprised me equally as much was that there's been 13 meetings between Buffalo and Northern Illinois, and Northern Illinois is 12-1. and one. Um, That's very lopsided for a series between two teams that have been pretty competitive in the MAC. Um, what about moving beyond just tomorrow's game, James? Um, I know you said earlier that, you know, you think that if, and I, you could get to 500 and win three games that that would be a successful season for them. It, you, it would be, all... it'd be a miracle, frankly, a yeah, lot of sure. people would consider it a miracle, but I think a, a really successful season would be coming out of it at three and three. Yeah. So is that, do you, how realistic do you think that is? Or do you think we're looking more likely at a one or two win season here? It is really tough to gauge because it's, it's the mid American conference and, yeah. So every year there feels like some team that we really expect should be on their game and, and they come out and they struggle and there's some team that no one gives a second look to and suddenly you're looking up in there and, and the final week of the season, they have a chance to go to Detroit. Um, but like I look at NIU schedule and I don't see any games that are certain locks for them. I see a lot of toss up games like uh, the Toledo game always feels like a toss up just given those two programs and, and how competitive they are against one another. Uh, Eastern Michigan feels like a big toss-up game. Western feels like a toss-up game. Ball State, prior to last year, felt like it could have been a lot, but Ball State, you know, last year came in in the second half and really put the boots to NIU. And this year, like uh, 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 you guys talked about, is kind of the, that win-or-go-home mentality. Uh, and then I feel like they're going to be really heavy underdogs in those home games that I mentioned. Uh, like the, there's a very small margin for error or for error against uh, the likes of uh, Central Michigan and Buffalo. So I think realistically, yeah, one or two wins wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I still think this is a team because of just how crazy the conference is that can get to three and three, though. Yeah. And my, my one final question before if Zach has any finishing thoughts is basketball is right around the corner. And last year, I'll be honest, I was I was kind of mad at you guys for being named Co-West Mac Divisional Titles when we beat you twice and you still were <laughs> named Co. But that's beyond the point. So what are your predictions with Lacey James gone, Eugene German gone? What what how how is the how is the feeling of the basketball program? Well, I, I think you guys might have a bit of an easier time uh, this year with those three guys gone. 
Uh, the only real guy that they have returning in terms of a big scorer is uh, Trendon Hankerson, uh, who really has been sort of a role player. And now it's going to be interesting to see him go from a guy that complimented Eugene German to a guy who now has to kind of be in his spot and play uh, hero ball uh, like German did the past few years. I think in terms of, uh, like I thought back to uh, uh, the conference uh, tournament being canceled back in March, uh, one of my friends who I do a podcast with, Mike Knapp, talked about being there and looking back, like that was a program that like, if if they lost anything out of that tournament not happening, it was Northern Illinois. Because typically I I think Northern Illinois teams in basketball get strongest around uh, March, at least while I've been here. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I think they'll definitely find ways to get wins, but it's going to be a question of from where and how. Yeah. Um, Final question for me here, James. Uh, And this is something that we ask pretty much all of our guests when they come on. Um, Nothing to do with sports, but if Sam or I or both of us ever happen to be in DeKalb, either for a football game or basketball game, whatever the place may be, whatever the case may be, um, where, where's the spot to eat? Where, where are we going to go to get some good food uh, and hang out before or after we go see a game? The easy spot everyone is going to tell you off the bat is fatties. Uh, okay. I am here to tell you that you have other options. I'm not going to say better or worse because I'm going to get people wanting to fight me. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I will say there's a restaurant, The Huddle, that is very good in DeKalb. Uh, there is... Uh, uh, if you guys are into sushi, uh, there's a Fushiyami, which is a very good sushi and uh, ramen and hibachi place. Uh, and then there's fatties, I'll say. So, okay. and we, I, I'm, me and Thomas Hammock share one uh, uh, very excited uh, holiday coming up, which is November 17th, because that's when we get a Raising Cane's in town. <laughs> and we're both very excited for that. Nice. And, and I'll be there day one. Uh, but I, I don't know if that necessarily counts as a DeKalb food uh, specialty. So I would say, yeah, the Huddle and uh, Fushigami are two places that people should check out. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. It's cool, that's awesome they're opening our Raising Cane's. I have some family down south and I actually love that Raising Cane's chicken. That's, that's good stuff. I, I, it's tough always explaining it to my friends because they're like, what's Raising Cane's? And I'm like, it's like a, a more Midwest Zaxby's and they're like, what's Zaxby's? Yeah. <laughs> and, so I, and so I'm like, oh, you just gotta go. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what to tell you. <laughs> For sure. Good stuff. Well, um, James, thank you again so much for joining us tonight, man. We really appreciated the conversation, really appreciated the insights. Uh, we know we've been so excited to watch Mac football here for the last uh, month or so since they announced it. I'm sure it's been the same for you guys over at the Northern Star. So just uh, it was great to talk Husky football a little bit with you. Thanks so much for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. No problem. And everyone, he, again, he is James Krause, a sports reporter for the NIU Northern Star. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap it up for this show. Um, another great episode, episode 18 uh, for the Mac Bandwagon podcast now. Can't believe it's been that long. Week one is down in the Mac. Uh, Sam. Uh, a couple great conversations tonight with uh, with George and James. Uh, week one is come and gone. Any final thoughts for the people tonight? Uh, not really. If your team lost, keep your head up high because that's what I'm trying to do right now. But really good conversations. 
Uh, hopefully you uh, Akron fans and Northern Illinois fans got a little bit of hope uh, maybe from your programs and whatnot. But other than that, I think I think this was a really solid episode. Week one breakdown finally here. We're moving on to week two. This year just seems to be going by so fast. Yeah, it really does. And uh, thank you again for to uh, George Thomas from the Akron Beacon Journal and James Krause from the NIU North Star. Uh, guys, we will have our, uh, our bandwagon bets um, tweet on uh, Sunday or Monday. We'll get the polls up then as well. Looking forward to uh, discussing week two with you guys next week. Hope you guys enjoyed week one as much as we did. Um, he is Sam Philman. I am Zach Polidor. This has been another episode of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. Thanks for, so much for stopping by, guys. We'll talk to you next week.